This episode is supported by Jace Medical. You may or may not know that in December, drug shortages across the U.S. hit a record high. This is causing severe disruptions in medical treatments, resulting in delays, treatment cancellations, and the unfortunate rationing of vital medications. I know that I have heard in the last few months from multiple mom friends of mine, instances where they have not been able to get medications for themselves or for their children in critical crisis moments. This is so, so scary. I know I've had friends with their kids having seasonal flu cold symptoms, struggling to breathe, and they're at urgent care and unable to get the antibiotics that they need because of these shortages. This is scary stuff. Most notably, one of the short supply antibiotics is amoxicillin, which is commonly used for so many of our children's illnesses. So here's where Jace Medical comes in. They have the Jace case, which is a personalized emergency medication kit that contains five essential antibiotics that are used for the most common and deadly bacterial infections. And you can also customize your case and add additional life-saving medications based on your or your children's family's unique needs, like an EpiPen, for example, something that you would never want to be without, would never want to have to run from pharmacy to pharmacy in pursuit of. So if you want to go get these medications and have your antibiotics on supply so that you always have them when you need them in case of an emergency, in case of a disaster, in case of being a, you know, a victim of this drug shortage, Jace Medical will have you covered. All you need to do is go to jacemedical.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout for a discount on your order. That's promo code SHAMELESS at jacemedical, J-A-S-E medical.com, jacemedical.com, code SHAMELESS. This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 851 with Priya Krishnan. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 851. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community, so be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Priya Krishnan, Chief Digital and Transformation Officer at Bride Horizons, is an entrepreneur who founded India's leading childcare and schooling service provider with more than 150 company-owned, company-operated centers across the country. At Bright Horizons, she leads client relationships for the U.S. international M&A and innovation projects. Priya joined Bright Horizons after founding and running Clay, a high-quality childcare organization which has grown to become India's largest childcare system. She initially started the business to enable women to return to work after childbirth. She won numerous entrepreneurship recognition awards as her startup venture expanded to 180 company-owned, company-operated centers across the country, staffed with empowered employees taking care of more than 16,000 children. Priya's company went on to provide high-quality childcare services on-site and worked with varying workplace models to help companies create employee solutions. Priya also founded a not-for-profit school for marginalized children, which has been recognized worldwide for its pedagogy and approach to blended learning. Priya has a global career in IT consulting across Singapore, New York, and London, working with companies including Accenture, PwC, EDS, and HP. She holds a bachelor's degree in computer engineering and has an MBA from London Business School. 
I was very excited to have this conversation with Priya. And the minute we started recording, I just knew that it was going to be a phenomenal conversation. We dig into so much here, but I think what was so impressive to me was all the ways that Priya has really, really stepped into being a culture shifter and a culture shaper, not just in India, but doing the same thing here in the US to really have global influence and impact. So listen in to hear Priya share her life mantra of failing fast, feeling deep and learning fast. What inspired her work to build the childcare system in India, leading her to become a sought after visionary and national leader in childcare? Her contribution to set a national standard of six months maternity leave in India and a national mandate for companies to provide childcare? Her alignment in values and how it has impacted her career trajectory and called her to build a career around intergenerational family systems? Why childcare is a critical component of culture infrastructure and how childcare is a triple bottom line impact in terms of how it positively or negatively impacts the entire society and her invitation to design work around life versus life around work. So with all that said, please join me in welcoming Priya Krishnan to the Shameless Mom Academy. Priya, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I am so happy to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me here, Sarah. I love your podcast and I can't wait for this conversation. It's, you know, I listened into a few episodes and just loved every minute of it. So thank you for having me on. Oh, well, the admiration is very mutual because when your team reached out about you coming on the show, I was reading the work that you've done, not just the work you're doing right now in the US, but the work you've done in India, the work that you've done as a mother, you are a really, really incredible leader. So I feel very honored to have you here today. Thank you. So with that, we always start with asking our guests a little bit about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio and anything you're most excited about right now. The personal and professional life outside of my bio is, you know, I'm a, I take life easy. I don't take myself very seriously. I love experimenting with things. And I think I became a better manager when I had my two boys. I'm sure you have other moms who say this, but I so it certainly played out really nicely for me. Because I think when you create a psychologically safe environment for your kids, you suddenly start taking that back into your workplace and think about how do I create this environment where they can play and they can fail safely and learn quickly, right? So I have this mantra around failing fast, failing cheap and learning fast. And I think it happened after I had the boys. It's something that I've seen through with both raising my kids as well as building my business and now working for Bright Ride. I love that mantra. Can you say that one more time? I'm going to, because I'm taking notes and I want to make sure I get it documented in our notes for our listeners to hold on to. Yeah, it's failing fast, failing cheap and learning fast. I love it. Love it. Okay. It's in the notes now. It's very official. When I first saw you know, information about you and the work that you do, I thought, oh, Bright Horizons and Seattle, Bright Horizons is very familiar as a child care, child development centers that are located all over Seattle, but I also know nationally located in many locations as well. And then I started to read your bio and I was like, oh, like the current work is not the story. <laughs> so there's a story there for sure. But when I started looking into your work, the work that you did prior to coming here and doing the work that you're currently doing with Bright Horizons is incredibly foundational work, not only to your professional foundation, but to like a nation. So I would love for you to talk a little bit about the work that you did in India and what inspired your move from India, 
where you were this sought after visionary and national leader in childcare to the US into your current role here at Bright Horizons? So I'm almost blushing as you're speaking, which is very tough with my skin coloring. But thank you for all of those compliments. The, you know, my, I sort of call this the phase three of my career, Sarah. So I had a tech consulting career, which was global. I moved all around and did technology sales consulting for about 11 years. I had my older, he's 18 right now. And at that point, I think I had this, unlike most women who work, I had a very clear ambition of becoming a mother first before I had an ambition Mm. for a career. So at the point that he was born, I was, you know, it was very apparent to me that I was a saner mother because I worked. I was honestly like I had my part of me that was fulfilled through my work. And then it brought me home and a part of me was fulfilled because I was his mom. And then I had the time for myself. But childcare came to my rescue at that point. And that was the reason I was able to manage both. Right. And I saw all these teams that I had in India. A lot of the women quitting because societally it was almost you know, an unstated norm that you had a child and you quit and you looked after the child. And these were women who were equally educated as their partners or their spouses. And the cities they lived in were expensive. So they wanted to both continue their careers for financial reasons, but also personal reasons, because, you know, they'd worked as hard as their husbands or partners. So I decided I would move back to India and I would start up a childcare business. And I did this because I felt really strongly about the fact that these were ambitious young women who were being forced to make a choice. And then another part of me said I wanted to set up school. I see, I've always believed that young children are the demographic dividend of the world, right? Like mm-hmm. If you get it right with kids, the world is a happier, saner place. Yes. So yes. how do you ensure that, you know, that children who are not born into privilege don't lose out on an opportunity because of the fact that they were just born in a place where they didn't have access to high quality education? So I sort of started this childcare venture to help working women. And I started a not-for-profit school to help young children get high quality education and create an infrastructure whereby these kids had a really decent shot at you know mainstreaming themselves being the first children to graduate from their homes etc so one I say was for my heart and one was for my soul and a big part of what I did while I was in India was also sort of look at what were the barriers Bright Horizons actually was one of the companies that I looked at and admired from afar Mm. because with high quality childcare, cost is a consideration and either the government can play a role or employers can play a role. So I worked with both and lobbied very hard with the government to change the policy around supporting women in during the maternity leave. And so I was instrumental in sort of the maternity leave coming about in India, which is women get six months of maternity leave. And all companies who had more than 50 employees were mandated to provide childcare access to employees. So that was a big win from a government. That's massive. Yeah, it is. But it took a lot of time and a lot of effort. All working moms right now. (laughs) I want to have you be like Priya for president. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but it takes a lot of perseverance and it's, you know, it's this whole rallying cry and there were a lot of people who supported it and employers were very forthcoming as well. So it felt like a good outcome over the nine years that I ran the business. And I felt very, very, it was very gratifying to see these children come out of our schools who going to be good citizens in the world. And then these moms who were able to go back to work and participate meaningfully, you know, in the workforce, but also fulfill themselves and their own ambitions. Incredible. 
I'm curious, you mentioned barriers and you mentioned costs, which is a sounds like is a barrier in India and also is a barrier here. I'm curious, other barriers that are maybe similar or different between the two cultures? I think certainly, you know, social norms are different in these countries. Like I said, it, societally, it was expected. It's, it's funny, like, you know, when you think about customer experience, one of the things we would do was we said, who all are objecting you? going back to work is it your husband your mom your mom-in-law uncle aunt bring them all to the child care center we will talk to them about how we look after your child mm-hmm. and why you know you will get both the support that you would provide at home and perhaps a little bit more and you can go back as guilt-free as possible to work mm-hmm. so it was almost this notion of sort of saying who's your village and let's convince your village this yeah. is not just about you it's enabling you to make that storyline in your household as well it's like a resocialization. Correct. Changing cultural norms. Like that's a big deal. And also how empowering to bring in multiple layers of a family unit or multiple generations for them to see, oh, wait, we could do it another way. Yeah. And, you know, it's fascinating because that emancipation at that individual household level, Sarah, goes a very long way. I remember one of our first teachers was this burqa clad woman who come in and she said I she's very educated had done her master's in art but her family hadn't allowed her to work and so the reason why she was allowed to work with us was because it was a children and other women and she worked with us for those eight or nine years but when her son was ready to get married she was very clear that my daughter-in-law will work and you know I will educate the girls in the household it wasn't like she wasn't educated it was very intentional that she said over the years the burqa came down her husband was a very big part of you know how she was growing up as a person and so it is not just what we did for the families who used the centers, it was also for the women who worked at our center. Yeah, that's incredible. And it gives me pause to like how many things we can do better here, because that's such a powerful story. And I think there's opportunity like that to change generational patterns and also change gender norms. I mean, I love that this is shifting the expectations around what women do or the invitations in terms of what is available to them and the options that they have versus feeling like there aren't options, which I think is incredibly powerful. What brought, so you're in India doing this amazing work and changing the country. (laughs) And so what brought you then over to the US? Did you see how broken we were and decide you needed to come out? (laughs) No, no, not at all. I exited (laughs) the venture that I set up and it was private equity bagged. And we, you know, I saw it and it happened just before the pandemic. So January of 2020, and I had my husband's an entrepreneur as well. So my boys now are 18 and 15. So I was like, do I have another startup left in me? What do I want to do next? And like I said, I did my Bright Horizons from afar. And Bright Horizons is more than a childcare business. It is a sort of pre-birth through the golden years support structure. And I felt like, you know, there was a story to be told there and a transformation to be made. And so that is why I'm here. And as my boys head into college, this allows me to see them into that next phase of their life. So it felt like an adventure worth taking. You know, like I said, I don't take myself or work too seriously. If it hadn't worked out, I'd have headed back and done the next thing. But it worked out perfectly. And, you know, I couldn't have done I wouldn't have imagined it any other way. Yeah. I have to ask a mom question. So if it was before the pandemic, were your boys like middle school, high school moving from India to the US? 
Oh, we had an interesting story there as well. So they were both in boarding school in Singapore. So oh. one stayed back. <laughs> I brought one with me to the US and my husband was back in India. So we have like a global family oh in the gosh. middle of the pandemic. A global unit. Yeah. But yes, they made the move. So they moved from the UK to India when they were six and three. They moved to you know Singapore and then they moved to the US. So they told me in all their wisdom as children, you know, who are all of our teachers tell us that they are what are called third culture kids. They were born in one country, mm. raised in another and made a third, a home. So <laughs> what an incredible experience and like just so many layers of life lessons in there for them. Yeah. Very, very cool. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. <laughs> well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. I want to talk a little bit about your experience as a working mother and then how that's impacted. You know, you've talked about what you built in India when you were coming over here to the U.S. and partnering with Bright Horizons. I'm curious how you were conscientious about bringing that, knowing your background as a working mom, bringing what you built from in India and where, what was your vision and mission partnering with Bright Horizons and bringing that, your work to the forefront there? I think, you know, Bright Horizons, the founders were, had a similar approach. Uh, it's a much larger organization, but the intent was to say, how do you provide high quality childcare to working families? and ensure that it is accessible and it is affordable, right? So if you think about any family, and I would hazard as moms, you know, who are working moms and are as fiercely driven in our work as we are as mothers, we would settle grudgingly for equal to what we provide at home. And we would be delighted if it was a little bit more than what we can provide 
at home. So quality is really important, access is critical, and cost is an important decision-making factor. So quality and access, we can certainly highlight, but employers play a role in the affordability or the government plays a role. And the work that Bright Horizon had done in converting a lot of employers and bringing them along on this journey of saying, this is not a parent-only issue. These are employees who spend their waking hours, you know, working for your company, making you successful. So how can you be part of their journey and what is an important milestone in their lives, which is raising their children. So for me, the decision was an easy one. And like I said, you know, Bright Horizon is just so much more than childcare. We provide backup care. So when families have breakdown in care supports, nanny has gone on leave or, you know, you have a sick family elder at home. We provide backup support there. We also provide educational and coaching at the life stage that I am, college coaching support for parents. So anything that feels like a stressful moment in your life, I think Bright Horizons provides an educational care solution. And it felt like the right thing because my personal belief is that if you're not anchored at home, you can't be successful in, at work. So how do you find solutions and mechanisms for people to feel supported at home? And care and education are the two most important things when it comes to young ones as well as elders in the family. So that's been the transition journey. Like I said, you know, we currently support close to half a million families, but that is just the tip of the iceberg and the potential to do this and serve several millions of families as they navigate what's a very tough time, you know, in a post-pandemic yeah. world is what bring, gets me out of bed every Oh my goodness. I love two themes that I see emerging here. First, that your alignment in values that it sounds like maybe you cannot do work that's not values aligned. So I can see where you have taken your own personal values and put them into the work that you do into doing meaningful work and deep work and work that has many ripples and layers of cultural uh, systemic impact. And I think when we have the opportunity to do that kind of work, it's, it sounds like for you, it's like a privilege and honor to be able to touch lives lives on so many different levels. And so I love seeing that thread and what you've shared so far. And the other thing I'm seeing that is aligned with that is that this trajectory where you're not, while you are supporting many individuals, everything is looked at and built in a way that you are building, shifting, evolving, multi-generational systems, which is so significant and has the ability and I think promise to have such long lasting impact. Yeah. So, and I think that's such a thing summary of what I spoke about. The I gifted my 18 year old this book called Ikigai. I think that sort of resonates at the core for me. And it's been what I've spoken to them about saying, you know, look, I'm not going to have a point of view on what school you go to, what you choose as a line of work. Just do things that are deep you know, you're passionate about that will serve a purpose in the world that use your skills, but also help you sustain what is a financially adequate lifestyle, right? So how do you find that confluence? Because I feel like personal fulfillment comes in that space. The intergenerational thing is important to me because, you know, the beauty of life is it's not constant and there is something that's around the corner that is a joy and a curveball at the same time. So as we're balancing this act, how do we ensure that whatever feels like a follow for a working family, right? So when you have a child, it's a decision point. Yeah. When you have a sick elder in the family, it's a decision point. When you have a pet who's unable to keep up, that's a decision point. When you're 
when you have a special needs a child who has specific needs in the household that's a decision point how do you support those decision points because at the root cause of all mental health issues are life right so how do you ensure that those elements are sorted for so that people actually lead joyous lives because really what kids need is parents who are not stressed out about life they need to yes. see the example of parents have a good time in life i'm laughing because I think no one listening to this right now is like, oh yeah, I live a very joy-filled, stress-free life. <laughs> my parents or my children get to see that all the time. That's so opposite of how we typically feel. And I think that that can be the nature of culture, society. I think that's really the nature of society in the US and actually globally right now yeah. in many ways and in definitely in many countries and to varying degrees of severity and trauma. But I also think that the nature of parenting just is like automatic stress all the time. Like you're always, when I do work in corporate, I do a lot of corporate training with um, women leaders. And when I'm doing work in there, there's a lot of conversations about showing up in one place and having to like take off one hat and put on the other and to compartmentalize and say like, I'm going to show up today and lead this meeting and try to actively not think about my child who is having a really hard time at school. And I know that he or she is sitting there right now in class taking a test, but I'm going to try to not think about that right now while I'm leading a meeting. We're constantly trying to compartmentalize or like put one thing away so we can take the other thing out and be focused. And it's so incredibly challenging and tricky. And I think that when we can have systems that support the fact and acknowledge and own the fact that people show up to work carrying a lot of stuff and it's not just moms, although that's who I tend to work with, but we also, you mentioned um, caring for aging parents as well. So it's caregiving our children, it's caregiving our parents, it's caregiving our pets, it's our own, you know, neurodivergencies. It's what's happening in culture, what's happening racially, what's happening nationally. It's so many different layers. And when we can start to identify that everyone's carrying these different layers with them into the workplace, then we can start to look at like, how do systems need to be changing? And how can we honor each other for what we're carrying in every day? That doesn't mean we spend the whole day like debriefing what we're all carrying in every day, but just honoring that people are coming in, carrying a lot. And when we look at working moms, recognizing, and to your point, you know, in India, that the assumption is you have baby and you're going to quit working and stay home. I think that in the US, there's been a lot over the last couple decades, I guess, where it's like, no, you can have it all. You can do it all. You can have the career, but there have not been systems in place to help. support actually doing that in a way that makes you a functional and to your point, joyful human being or stress-free human being. So I'd love to hear how you think employers could be better supporting working parents and caregivers. I think, you know, employers just, it's not easy for employers. Let's start there, right? Because they have multi-generational workforces. Today, like even Bright Horizons has five generations of workforces and the needs across these generations are different. Yeah. Gen Z requires and expectations are different as well. Right. So how one is from an employer standpoint, how do you design such that it feels equitable and fair? But I also, you know, spend a lot of time rallying for the fact that if you want equity in the workforce, you cannot think about equity and benefits. So if you want women to be in the workforce, you have to think about women's needs and their responsibilities. If you want people of color who are first generation learners in your workforce, you have to think about their debt burdens as they come into the workforce. Yeah. If you think about, again, women from colored backgrounds, you have to think about their responsibilities when it comes to elders, because there are, again, societal expectations. there. So how do you design in a way that feels supportive for a broad group? 
but for specific narrow groups have you know be intentional about saying you know i understand that the needs for this group are different and we need to create benefits that are specific to these groups because we want a happy thriving diverse workforce so you know the fact is i'm not diminishing the fact that people have cognitive load look you have it i have it but i also think it's upon us as working mothers working fathers to remember that you know kids turn out okay in spite of us not because of us so in this in this whole process how do we not wind ourselves up and saying how do i get this right and split myself into two parts you physically can't be in two places yeah. so how do you just say fine i am here and you know chances are whatever happens there i will be able to deal with it and i will get to it when i can yeah. that's more difficult it's easier said than done but i think it's something that we have to practice and then sort of go back and rally for these supports from our employers i do think employers want to meet employees midway through so it is finding this equilibrium of saying okay you're at work and how can your employer support you and employers need to be mindful of how they can support employees in what is a very very different world from 5 years ago you know wow. we're now hybrid we are not in the office as much so if it's a hybrid workforce is there a hybrid care arrangement and how do you think about it yeah so i love how you said that we need to be looking at this in terms of basically how do we honor each person and recognize that like this person or group is coming from this perspective this person group coming from this perspective we can't like the answer isn't the same for everyone and i think at the end of the day and one of the things i do a lot of training on is everyone wants at the end of the day everyone wants to be seen heard held and valued and seeing hearing holding and valuing everyone looks differently depending on who that person is and it is as you mentioned like that's a big load to put on an employer i also see though how employers are open to how can we do better and how can we figure this out and sometimes it feels really slow and sometimes it feels like okay well we're doing this to impact and support this population community but like what about these people over here and like what about them and you're not acknowledging them and i think we have to give grace as long as harm isn't being done there's difference if like active harm is happening and then also continue to show up in ways that let it be known how things could be better and an example i was talking to some moms about meetings that happen at 3 o'clock and which is like school pickup time and it was interesting because some corporate moms in one circle were saying yeah we think this is a really unreasonable expectation like we can't we should be able to have a rule like no meetings after 2:30 p.m. or something and then other people in the same conversation who are women leaders in corporate who are moms were saying because we work across time zones 3:00 is the only time it works for everyone and it's this like weird tension of the company by saying like we want to hold space we want to honor that and also like we're also having to hold and honor all these other things and then if we make a decision that says we're going to have meetings at 3:00 it looks like we're dishonoring and so it is so much to hold so much to weigh and it is really tricky and layered and i think that we need to do better and also we need to have like patience and grace around doing better and we need to i think have a place where we continue like we are open and have safe space to continue to show up and give the same message over and over again like okay i hear that we have to keep this at 3:00 but just know this is really hard for people for you know this big population of moms at our company and continuing to have that conversation so that it's not a conversation ending when something goes a certain way but it's staying active in the conversation right and and you're so right right that it is not a one solution fits all as long as you can 
you know, there's an authenticity to finding solutions between yeah. employees and employers. And the grace, you know, is something that we're both, there's trust and there is grace that we will, everyone has good intention here. I think it eventually comes about. And it, it does require some compromise. Like in all good things in life, there is some compromise. Yeah. In It could mean that, you know, you're saying for those international requirements, it's twice a week. But on all other days, we get us, you know, we understand that this you being there at pickup time is really critical. That's a compromise on both sides. But how do you actually navigate those conversations? Is, yeah. you know, what, look, HR has not had it easy over the last five oh, years. Think about it, right? Like, I think this is, you know, I'm probably going to write an article around this is the decade of HR because they've had to send a workforce home. They've had to track mm-hmm. like transmission rates, vaccination rates. Then now suddenly it is about, let's bring everyone back to the office. And we haven't decided on, is it back to the office full-time? Is it back to the office part-time? And there are a lot of raging emotions here. So when do you get a minute to sort of breathe and say, okay, now that all of this is settled, how do I make relevant choices and benefits for these groups that have different needs now? Yeah. I want to give a shout out to everyone in HR. One of my very best friends is a VP of HR in a company. And it's been funny, not funny um, over the last few years if, as I have had strong opinions as I always do about certain things. And we'll just be casually chatting about whatever, taking our dogs for a walk. And I'll be like, I can't believe this is happening. And she's like, okay, but from an HR perspective, can I explain <laughs> to you like why we're doing that? And can I remind you that this is on the tail end of all these other things that have happened over? And I'm like, okay, I'll shut up now. <laughs> so it's been really interesting, also funny, and also like a really important reminder to honor what we're all carrying again that people have had to work so hard over the last few years and so show up and do things that they never thought their profession would ask of them. And I think this is probably across the board that we've had to, you know, extend ourselves and expand our, in terms of what we think is possible and how we can work and parent and exist in such different ways than we've ever had to do before. And it makes it really easy to judge (laughs) place blame and deflect and project. And that part, I think sometimes, and I'm using myself as an example, can just come back to bite us if we aren't open to like, okay, I need to hear this other side. And now I can see and understand like why this is happening that way or why we need to wait on this certain thing. And I think that that communication is really, really important. And I think that that you mentioned the word trust a minute ago, when there's transparency, there's more trust. And I think then there is space for way more grace for people to say, okay, I see why it can't happen this way, or it can't happen this way right now. But let's stay in the conversation. And as we're planning for next month, quarter, year, whatever, then maybe things can look a little bit different. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You you mentioned multiple times, you know, the last handful of years, you started, it sounds like you came over to start your work with Bright Horizons right before the pandemic. So I'm imagining that this role has looked a lot different than what you signed up for. In the middle of the pandemic, I actually moved in in November of 2020. So just to make things fun, I moved, you know, when there was no vaccine (laughs) and borders were shut down. So I moved in the middle of it. And I want to acknowledge that that was a critical time for childcare. Like, it's not like you moved to you know, to take a job at Amazon, like you moved like one of the most critically impacted sectors. Um, So do you want to talk a little bit about that experience? And then also, I want to talk a little bit about kind of the evolution of return to work and things that we're seeing now, but I would love to kind of start where you started. Yes, you know, for me, staying the course on being an advocate in the childcare space was really, really important. Because 
you know, for working families, this is one of the first pieces of infrastructure that is required. Look, care is the first thing we did as human beings, right? So how do you ensure that there is availability of care is critical and in the U.S. specifically to the point that you made where, you know, historically for the first time, even in the U.S. history, there were more women who were graduating out of schools pre-pandemic, just pre-pandemic, right? They were having children later in life, so which means they were productive in the workforce for a significantly longer time. And as an aging economy, the U.S. requires young family. You need to have, you know, for an economy to prosper, the more you can't become a reverse pyramid, you at least have to stay as a cylinder, if not, you know, a normal pyramid. So childcare becomes very critical infrastructure. We think of it as a cost. We think of it as something that is the working family's parent, but it's actually an economic issue because when you invest in childcare, you invest in women. When you invest in women, you invest in healthcare and education. Those children go on to contribute to the GDP meaningfully. So it's technically a triple bottom line impact. This is, you know, not my work. It's, you know, a Nobel winner's work that has spoken about how the impact of childcare is really, really critical for the economy. So that was, and today what's happening here, for the first time, the US economy also, the government stepped up in a big way to say, let's preserve supply of childcare, which was very heartening to say, how do we sustain childcare supply? Where we sit today is a very critical point where, you know, with the ARPA funding being pulled back, what the state of childcare supply in the US has come to a very fairly crucial junction. So this is still an evolving space. It's a nascent space. And I feel the work will need to continue and more and more people will need to get involved to ensure that we have good infrastructure so that, you know, there are more working families and in turn, the US economy continues to prosper, right? Like I said, the reverse pyramid has to get stemmed. And if you want more working families, you have to have infrastructure working families to have those families. That makes so much sense. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model. So that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt 
free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. I also think that I love that you pointed out that data and that the triple bottom line impact is so significant. And I think it, when you're a parent in need of childcare, it feels like a personal problem. Like this is my problem to solve. It's a very hard problem to solve for. There's often the options are not immediately accessible for various reasons, whether it's geographical, whether it's financial, whether it's like availability in terms of wait lists. And when we look at it, when you frame it the way you just framed it, it takes the onus off of it being a personal problem and really acknowledges that this is a systemic problem that doesn't provide an immediate solution to a parent who's holding that. But I think sometimes the acknowledgement that this isn't just mine to carry, although it is something I do have to solve for as a parent in the immediate future, I think can be really helpful. And then also we can continue to remind um, the people who have the most power that it's up to them to be responsible for the systems that they have power over. Um, And that I think that changes the dynamic and it changes the conversation. Yeah. And look, advocacy is a big part of this, right? Whether it's advocacy to employers or it's advocacy to the government, Mm -hmm. whoever's working with these employers is gaining, uh, is providing and contributing in a meaningful way. So it's the employer's responsibility. The government's getting taxes. So it is the government's responsibilities. And in both scenarios, I think that's why it's, you know, it's three stakeholders. It's not individuals. It does feel deeply personal, because you're the one who's seeking that support out. But there are countries all across the globe uh, who have figured this out and provided this as core infrastructure. So we all know about the Nordic countries. And honestly, you know, childcare access and the quality of life, correlation is pretty, pretty high. So there might yeah. be a lesson out there for us to Yeah, adopt. when you talk about a lot of joy and not so much stress, when you look at those Nordic countries, you're like, huh, they look pretty relaxed. I know. And in spite of the fact that six months of the year, they see like three hours of sunlight. They yes, see- yes, <laughs> totally. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. And I think you're so right that we it's easy for the people who have power in the systems to say like, this is an unsolvable problem, or we don't have the control or blah, 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 we don't have the resources, whatever. And then you look and you're like, oh, but hold on, wait a minute, like other countries have figured this out. Countries with fewer resources or fewer, you know, easily accessible resources have figured this out. This is a solvable problem. right? Um, And that I think that shifts the conversation as well. I want to make sure we touch on return to work because I know that this is something that's lots of conversation around this. And it's been, I think, a big consideration for moms and employment since the beginning of the pandemic. So can you talk a little bit about as we see more and more companies starting to enforce a return to work, where I think a lot for many companies, it was like a suggestion, an invitation, an opportunity. And now it's becoming more like, no, like this is what it's going to be. It is going to be something that's really enforced and feels more demanding to the employee. Where are you seeing companies missing the mark? And how, what are your ideas or suggestions for how we can be doing a better job to make this accessible and inclusive for working parents, but also to be going back to like feeling seen, heard, held and valued to put out, you know, expectations in a way that we're acknowledging like this needs to happen. And also we want to acknowledge that this is hard and here's how we want to meet you halfway, or here's how we want to try to alleviate some of this transition. Yeah, this is, um, you know, it's, it is not easy, right? As, and with the pandemic, it was an overnight, we have to shut down and everyone's going to work from home. We, we weren't working from home. We were all living at work, right? We were trying to transition from this yeah. by, yeah, we, so we just hard. had 
this nightmare of a situation and we adapted to that but it took us a while to get there and this process will also take us a little while to get there that you know the thing that nags at the back of my head is how can we all collectively design around life right so how do you design work around life so to your question on now with all of the advancement of technology the connectedness you and i are able to speak and you know we could continue to talk and we could meet a year from now and have this incredibly deep conversation and relationship because technology allows us to have this mechanism of connecting with each other seeing each other sensing you know our emotions etc so how do we ensure that we're using that technology in a way where we're saying okay can the work they actually get logically broken up in a way that it supports working families so you know could that mom go pick up at 3 p.m sort her kids out for a snack and then come back to work when the kids are in the playground like does it have to be a contiguous 8 hours or could it be a series of four hour blocks two hour blocks which still get you to the 8 hour mark i think that is the opportunity for us to collectively work towards the value of in person interactions cannot be diminished right the value of mentoring the value and this is you and i both know this from you're coaching a lot of women you're providing them a lot of life skills the notion of having somebody at work that you can learn from is critical so there is value in being in office but yes. what are you in office for and how do you split that up so there is this true work life equation that we can work out and that i feel like employers you know hopefully based on the feedback the transparency the trust and the grace from employees and employers we will find a solution that actually works for everybody because eventually people will be demanding if it doesn't work for them and employers aren't will not ignore it because they also want happy healthy employees because that's what you know literally this is where we spend our waking hours right i think it's interesting to note how the status quo has shifted and we can't in terms of working parents i think we can't unsee or unknow what we know now and so this call to like we're not willing to do things the way we did them 5 years ago we're not willing to be in office 9 to 5 5 days a week i think is because we know more now and we also have we've learned so much more about like how things can be done in alternative ways which i think is really exciting but i also see and hear how it's going to take time to build entirely not entirely but vastly different, different systems yeah. and i love your examples of like having you know could your workday be two chunks of 4 hours or uh, these hours in office and then a couple more hours at home in the evening that are virtual or whatever the the system might be but because systems tend to be rigid <laughs> and especially if they've been around for a while like centuries it takes a lot of time to have this evolution so i think it is like continuing to speak up and say the things even though it feels like maybe nothing is changing does continue to put demand on the fact that like this is real we know this it's still happening it's still there like we're still here these needs are not going away like the needs of parents will never not be a thing <laughs> the needs of our children will never not be a thing and so keeping that i think is visible and as you know in terms of ongoing conversation and then you know steps toward evolution i think is so critical yeah and i think every voice matters right so yeah. saying you know why what i say might not be taken seriously but if you're one among thousands of people who are saying it i think you can't be ignored so i also feel i always say this to my kids right or and to myself like the yes quitting is always an option but you know have you given it your best shot before you say i will call it quits so how do you keep stay the course and believe that that every little that you're doing that conversation that you're having with your manager that voice that 
that you're making with your employer or that voice, that conversation you're having with an employee, all of that goes in what could be systemic change for us because the more people talk about it, the more the reality is. It's not like, you know, I think the biggest challenge is when people either suffer through it or say, this is not for me and quit. Yeah. Then you're not yeah. part of the solution. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for pointing that out. Do you have a practical tip that you want to leave our listeners with around better work-life integration based on your vast experience and expertise? I think not taking yourself seriously is really yeah. important. <laughs> <laughs> I actually love that you opened with that and you opened with that. And then you told us about this work that you have done that is so huge and impactful and on such an enormous and profound scale. And then we're ending with that, that you can do big, huge, great things. And you can, you know, have massive impact in the world. And also it doesn't have to be carrying a million pounds of stress on your back at all times. Yeah, because you are you and, you know, you can do what you can. And if it doesn't work, then you learn from it and you try again. That, And I yes. think that's the, you know, it is my only, it's my operating philosophy. So it would be the only thing I'd leave with. I love list. it. I love it. Can you tell us how you're currently showing up as a shameless mom, Priya? I, I've started working out again after a very long time. So I lost my dad and my dad-in-law through the pandemic. And I think I struggled through losing both of them. And it showed up health-wise with me and I started working out more. And so I think my shameless mom moment is like I tell the boys to sort the laundry and the dishwashing and I say I'm going out to work out and this is your payback time and it's really important to ask for help and they're good kids but yeah, I've been better at asking for saying hey this time is for me and you need to help out. I'm so sorry that you had those huge losses but I love hearing that you are now prioritizing yourself and your health, which obviously impacts mental health as well. I think that's really, really important. So cheers for that, like uh, cheering and, champ and championing you over here for that, for sure. Can you tell folks where they can connect with you, follow Bright Horizons work, et cetera, after listening to this episode? Yes, thank you for that. I have a podcast as well. Nothing as successful as yours, but it's similar. Hey, hey, there's many ways to measure success in podcast land. So I'm not accepting that answer. Yes, it is an attempt to have honest conversations. And, you know, the thing is that it is, I believe that there are extraordinary moments in ordinary lives, and then there are ordinary moments in extraordinary lives, right? So yeah. telling those everyday stories and almost normalizing the conversation of saying this is shared pain and shared joy is what we're trying through the podcast. It's called The Work-Life Equation, and we're launching our second season. And you can find me on LinkedIn, on Priya Krishnan, and you can find me on Twitter, on Priya Krishnan. I'm not on Facebook or on Instagram. I haven't succumbed to that yet. But Bright Horizons has tons of working parent content, Sarah. And it's, uh, you know, including topics like how to speak to your children about difficult situations, how to deal with stress as a working mom. So if you go to brighthorizons.com resources, there is an immense number of resources that working parents can find. And we're here to support them should they have questions. <laughs> Thank you so much. And I'm going to link everything up here in our show notes. So if people go to shamelessmom.com and click on the episode with Priya Krishnan, and then they can pop right through and link to the 
podcasts, to social media, or to, well, yes, to social media, but to the social media that you reference. So Twitter and <laughs> LinkedIn. and LinkedIn, we have that right here. And then also I'm going to link to all the Bright Horizons social pages as well and the brighthorizons.com website. So folks can continue to get resources over there. Priya, thank you so much for this conversation and this, the generosity with your time and your expertise. This has been a really, really impactful conversation. And I'm so deeply grateful for this time today, but also for the work that you're doing in our country, in the US, for our US listeners, but also the work that you've done on the global scale. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Sarah. It is uh, you, you know, the compliments right back at you. I think what you're doing, again, in terms of having the conversation with working mothers, giving them that space and the permission to be themselves is incredible. So more power to you and happy to be a part, small part of that. Thank you, Priya. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. Real truth alert, pregnancy, birth, and having a baby isn't all sunshine and rainbows. I wish it were, but the reality is that many people struggle and suffer through this time without the right help or even knowing what they're dealing with. I'm perinatal psychologist, Dr. Katayun Kayani, also known as Dr. Kat. My podcast, Mom and Mind, aims to shine a light on the difficult reality that so many hopeful and new parents experience and raise the volume on how we can better support mental health, which is a big part of our overall health. Episodes include personal stories from people who have healed through things like pregnancy and postpartum anxiety, depression, PTSD, and so much more. I also talk with specialists and experts who explain and educate on these conditions. All of this to support parents to know that they are not alone, that healing is possible, and there are resources that can help you today. Listen into Mom and Mind and walk with me through the world of perinatal mental health.